0: Morning Cornerstone Church. It's good to be with you this morning. Awesome to uh, be part of the worship and see you guys being sent out to plant a local church. You know Revelation, um, the metaphor Jesus uses there for local churches is a lampstand. Our churches are designed to give light. Not a place to escape from, but a place to be sent out from. So not a place to escape to, but to be sent out from. If we haven't met before, Greg did introduce me. Um, I'm married to Jackie. We have been married for 21 and a half years. We have three children, uh, two biological and one by God's grace added to our family, 19 and 17, two boys, and then our daughter Trinity, who's 10 years old, and she joined our family four years ago, and uh, it's just been an absolute joy to be a parent and to be involved in connecting with different churches all over the place. This this local church has got an amazing heart, amazing history, and amazing reputation. Thank you for the example that you set for so many other churches in generosity, in giving, sending, going. Um, it really is absolutely awesome. I'd like to share from the story of Noah this morning. We've dived into the story as a local church over four weeks, and I had a lady come up to me after at the end of the series and said, when you said you were talking about Noah, I wondered what on earth are oh, we're going to learn from that guy. It's one of the earliest stories in the Bible, Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, the story of Noah is told. And if you've had any exposure to the Bible in your life, you probably have heard something of the story of Noah. It's this guy who enters an ark with a whole lot of animals. There's a big flood. Full stop. No, for me, there's such depth to the story. If you hear here this morning, maybe as a guest, you've been invited along and you're cynical about some of the stories of the Bible, um, even this one, did this event actually take place? Or some people say, well, maybe it was just an allegory to, to help us live better lives. Um, I don't want to take too long in this, but it's interesting that both Christian scientists as well as secular scientists uh, believe that there was some kind of Great big flood. On the NASA website, no less, uh, I found a report that said scientists from NASA and Columbia University have used computer modeling to successfully reproduce an abrupt climate change that took place X number of years ago. At that time, the beginning of the current warm period, climate changes were caused by a massive flood of fresh water in the North Atlantic Ocean. They're not talking from the story of the Bible, they're just saying what they observe in nature. It's interesting to me as well that. Jesus used the story of Noah to teach about his second coming. In other words, Jesus presumed that it happened. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can believe what he believed and he spoke. He taught from the story of Noah in Matthew chapter 24. So I want to read 14 verses from Genesis 6 and 7 and then draw out some um, thoughts from that. Genesis 6 verse 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. This is an amazing bio that he's got. He was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, this is a very sobering sentence. I'm gonna put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely gonna destroy both them and the earth. So, Noah, make for yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you ought to build it. The ark is to be 350 cubits long, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Just out of interest, if you were to convert that into meters, it's 135 meters long. 23 meters wide and 14 meters high. This was a big boat. I'm going to bring floodwaters, God says, on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark. You, your sons, you, your sons, your wife and your sons' wives, with you. Noah did everything just as the Lord commanded. Next chapter. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Verse 5, Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Wow. Verse 10, After seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. Rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Wow. Wow. What a sobering story. The whole world, the Bible tells us, was corrupt and full of violence. There was great wickedness and people had rejected God. And in the middle of all of that corruption, there is this man Noah who the Bible records as a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time and that he walked faithfully with God. Imagine how challenging this must have been for Noah. Sometimes when uh, I read Bible stories, I kind of just read, I think, boy, that's really interesting, and I move to the next chapter. But it helps me to think about it by trying to put myself in that person's sandals. There were only eight people who believed what Noah believed in the entire world. His wife, his three boys, and their three wives. Outside of his family, no one else believed the message that Noah was preaching. Interestingly, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, the Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. What are some of kind of the modern day, I'm not saying this is the Bible version of success, but what's some of the modern day version of success of being a preacher or an influencer, spiritual influencer, etc.? It's like people listening to your message. Noah was 600 years old when this event happened. And he's been a preacher of righteousness for most of that time. By all of modern day standards, he is spectacularly unsuccessful as a preacher. The only people who have listened to his message is his immediate family. Not one other person believes in God. He has nowhere to go on a Sunday morning with a whole bunch of people like this to celebrate and to work out his own faith and some of his doubts, etc. Just him and his family. This story challenges me because the description of the world in Noah's day could be, described to, could be used to describe so much of the world in our day, full of corruption, violence, great wickedness, and full of God rejection. People living for themselves in a world that's characterized by pride and arrogance. Imagine that you were the only person together with your family that believed in Christ no one else in the world believed, how would you take your stand? What would you do? For me, this is a challenging message because Noah lived in a culture that was hostile to God, yet the Bible praises him for his radical faith. So for me, the big question to be asked out of this text is, how can you and I live with radical faith in a culture that's hostile to God? For those that are involved in business, how do you go about your business living with radical faith and integrity in a world and culture that's hostile to those values? If you're at school, tertiary education, if you're employed somewhere, if you're surrounded by corruption, wickedness, God rejection, how do you still live with a radical faith? And I believe that's what the story of Noah challenges and teaches us. There's a whole lot of stuff to draw out of the story, but I'd like to pick three for this morning. The first and the first thing that stands out to me from the story is this one, is that he walked faithfully with God. Steve, whatever your name is, how do we go about living with radical faith in a hostile culture for your whole life? Noah's answer, he walked faithfully with God. 600 years, they lived a bit longer before the flood than they did after the flood. 600 years of day after day after day walking faithfully with God. This is like the highest accolade that God can give somebody in the Bible. They walked faithfully with God. They followed him faithfully. It's interesting, when Noah walked with God, God spoke to him. And the same is true for us. When we walk with God faithfully, day after day, month after month, God speaks to us and he leads us. He guides us in different ways. It's interesting to me, that God told Noah some of his plans in advance. He says, I'm going to bring the flood waters on the earth. It wasn't a surprise. Noah would have been building this great big ark. God told him to build that ark. Everyone in his neighborhood, in his town, would have seen this great big construction going on. They, Noah, what's happening? Well, God's told me, you know, there's this big flood coming. What's a flood? From what I can understand from the Bible, there had been no actual proper rain up till that point. But it's interesting to me as well that God doesn't give Noah all of the instructions. He gives him the dimensions for the ark. He tells him to go ahead and that he's building the ark in order for all these animals to come. Now, my mom, my late mother, was of German descent. And so I've got these little, like half of my brain, I've got these little German guys that want all the answers in rows and columns. That's just part of my wiring. If I hadn't been given the instruction, go and get two of every animal on the ark, I'll tell you what my next question would have been. How? How? Okay, so we go off to Kruger and we get a lion and a lioness, but then how do you also get the male and female impala and get them all onto the boat without bloodshed? And how do you convince the elephant to follow you onto the, I mean, it's just, and it's not recorded. God does not give no instruction on how that's happened. Just, this is the boat, the dimension, da-da-da, rain's coming, and by the way, it's for the animals. Only when he had built it all did he understand how it was all going to happen. So there's, God guides us, but we also have to walk by faith. What does walking faithfully with God look like? I'd like to throw out a couple of thoughts. All of these could be an entire message by themselves. Walking faithfully with God, for me, the starting point is a full surrender to him. It's not just God, the genie in the lamp, granting me my wishes to have a more blessed and happy life. It's me surrendering to his plans and purposes, walking faithfully with him. Walking with God is listening to him by reading his word, by hearing his still small voice. Uh, I I had the privilege of being with some of the young guys on Friday nights across in four ways, a combined youth event of the different churches, and spoke about how we hear God's voice, how we follow his guidance, how how he guides us. But for many of us, we're not too interested in listening to him. We don't take time daily to spend with him. We use excuses like, I am too busy, which is just another way of saying it's not important enough. And when we spend time with God, he's guiding us. What could be more important than spending time with the creator of the universe to get input into my life, guidance from him, reading his word, etc.? It's not just listening to him, it's also talking to him by prayer. I love the fact that in the Bible, there's no like designated star chart for eloquence in praying. Some of the most celebrated prayers were very short. Prayer is not about how many words I can get, it's about faith and connecting with God, talking to him. If walking faithfully with God is about connecting with His people as well. It takes time and effort to be connected with community, church, Christian community. In life groups, midweek, being here on a Sunday morning, coming along to bring your kids along on Friday evening, all of this stuff involves some, some kind of commitment. And yet when we do that, we, it helps us walking faithfully with God. When I was 14 years old, my family joined the local church in Peter Maritzburg. It's now called One Life Church. And the, the lead couple of that church at that time were Ray and Moira Oliver. Ray is 80, she's about to turn 80 years old now. I was at school with his son. And there was just such a... It's like I didn't notice it too much at the time, but as I got a bit older, I thought that one of the most outstanding things about Ray was that he walked faithfully with God. He'd preach and share and lead, but it just, he had this depth to him that just comes from walking faithfully daily with God. The other, he, he was one of my early mentors. When I became an elder in our local church, it was because of his invitation, and I was a young guy. And I had this on my heart to do, but a couple of months ago, I invited him to come down to our local church. We're now in Durban. And uh, just to spend some time to connect with him. We've we've connected a bit, but I wanted to do something special. And we went out for coffee. And I just wanted to take the moment to say thank you, Ray. I got quite emotional, actually. Thank you for setting an example, year in, year out, of walking faithfully with God. All of the years between now and then, (coughs) he's still walking faithfully with God. For many of you seated here, that's some of your story as well maybe in the last third of your life and your, your story has been that you've walked faithfully with God, thank you for setting that example for all of us who might be a little bit younger for walking faithfully with God. You know the thing that stood out to me most about that time that, I mean, after my like three minutes, get a bit emotional, said thank you. He said, no, thanks Steve for that. I really appreciate it. You know, it's by God's grace, great pleasure. And then for the rest of our time together, he's talking about what God is doing Now, Different places, different churches. He's not sitting there with the "when we" mentality. Oh, I remember back in the good old days when you were a young boy and some of the crazy stuff I had done and he had to correct me. He wasn't pulling out all of those stories. He's talking about what God is doing now, and for me, that's what walking faithfully with God is: is what He's doing now and what He's doing in front of us. How do we live with radical faith in a hostile culture? Out of the story of Noah. I believe the second thing that Noah understood was how powerful God is. How do I live today, 2023, with radical faith and a hostile culture? We need a deeper understanding of how powerful God really is. I don't believe that Noah could have been a preacher of righteousness unless he had a bigger view of God than he did of all of the wickedness around him. For many of us, we get so overwhelmed with what we see, with what we read, we, we the, sadly, many of us are the people who bring the bad news to the briar or coffee or whatever into conversation. It's like our view of all the sadness in the world is far higher than our view of God. And in the middle of all of this violence, corruption, and wickedness that Noah lives among, uh, within, he sees at least three aspects of God's power. He, first of all, understands that God created everything. God actually says to him, I regret that I made the whole earth, uh, chapter 6, verse 7. God is so powerful, he created everything. But the two revelations that I'd like to just um, pick up on this morning of God's power is the picture of God as judge and God as rescuer. It's interesting to me that Noah believed God when God said he was going to send a flood. God says, I'm going to destroy the whole world with a single catastrophic event, this flood. It's like, it's, it's, it's difficult to comprehend the breadth of this. But Noah's not standing there arguing with God, accusing God of being unfair. Oh God, why couldn't you give me a better life? This is so tough, there's only eight of us. You don't read self-pity in his story, but you do see that he believes that God is the judge of all mankind. How does this apply to us in 2023? Well, God's never stopped being the judge of all mankind. Some of the difficulty many of us struggle with, including myself, is seeing like unfairness in the world. It's in the Psalms, read Psalms where the the guys writing the Psalms are desperate. They're like, God, how come people are getting away with so much wickedness? And it seems like the people who want to do right are just like getting squeezed into a corner. And the problem that when our focus is just on the wickedness around us, we lose sight that there's a great judge who sees everything, records everything, and knows everything, and will hold the whole world to account. So the flood then actually is a picture pointing forward for us. By the way, God promised in the story he will never destroy the the world again by flood, but he did not promise to never destroy the world again. In the book of 2 Peter, Peter refers back to the flood and he says, just by the way, the present world is being reserved for destruction by fire. I can feel I'm getting quite excited about this, I'm going to try and say this in a non, <laughs> non-fire and brimstoney way. The judge of all mankind has determined that at a future date, everything physical, But 2 Peter says the elements will be destroyed with fire. Everything physical around us will somehow disappear in the great judgment of God. He will judge every person for what they have done. First of all, for what they have done with Christ. And then after that, if you've put your faith in Christ, how you have followed him after that. Um, This isn't a message on that judgment. But the judge of all the earth, just because he hasn't sent the fire today doesn't mean he isn't seeing everything that happens today. The pain, the bloodshed, the violence, the abuse that so many people have suffered. God sees and he knows and he's holding the whole world. will hold the whole world to account, every single human being. And the flood back then is referring us to, a, is, is a, reminding us that there's a fire coming. This is why it's so important that our entire faith and hope and joy system is not based on the here and now and the physical stuff. You can look at anything physical around you, house, car, clothing, church, building. It's all one day gonna be destroyed by fire. It won't last for eternity. But people, our souls will. What kind of people then should we be? Peter says we should be people who live with fear and reverence and awe of this holy God, the judge. but that's not the end of the story. God is not only the judge by flood, he is the rescuer by ark. God's not this, well he was angry with all of the sin, but it's not just like one day he loses it with mankind. Okay, now deal with the flood. There was a long period of time of buildup there were so many warnings that everybody had. It took, would have taken a long time for Noah to build this ark by hand, this huge wooden structure. And here's the thing, people around Noah would have heard the story. Noah would have been telling them, guys, there's a flood coming, please don't waste your lives. And whatever they were saying back to him, I'm sure it was scorning, mocking and laughing. Noah, why the heck you're building this big wooden boat? He says, guys, God's told me there's a flood. We don't even believe in God. What's a flood anyway? Noah, you're so radical. You've you've lost it. You're on the loony fringe now, building this big ark. When the floods came, there was only one safe place to be that was inside the ark. You could have had the best house with the best water drainage, thank you, the best gutters, the best, but when the floodwaters rose and rose and rose and rose, there was nowhere safe to be outside of the ark, and the ark in the story is a picture that points us forward to the ark in the New Testament, which is Jesus Christ himself. There is only one safe place to be from future judgment, and that is in Christ, not just connected to people who know Christ, Not just a family member who's a radical prayer. A spouse who's got enough religion for the whole family and so I don't need to be connected myself. It's in the ark of Christ that we find rescue. And in Noah's day, the message would have had kind of a limited ability to go out. Today, the message rings out far and wide throughout the whole earth. There's a day coming. Just like it was in Noah, it's gonna be Jesus said in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And in those days, people were going about their own business, didn't care, just doing their own regular day to day stuff, and the rain started to fall. There's a future day coming when time, as we know it, will come to an end, and God's timeline will change, and a future day of judgment awaits. But He tells us about this in scripture because He's not a God who just loses his temper one morning bang, take that, fire. No, there's a buildup of centuries of his warning and his invitation come into the ark, come and have a relationship with Jesus. And sadly, there are people maybe even here today that you've mocked, you've criticized your entire life, the message of Christ. My plea with you is don't leave it. Don't wait till the end. Put your faith in him now. We had a baptism. By the way, if you haven't yet been baptized Next Sunday's water baptism, it is not an additional extra in the Bible, it is a command of Christ, repent and be baptized, that's what the Bible says. So we a baptism service a couple of uh, weeks ago, and one of the gentlemen who got baptized, I asked him to send me his testimony in written form, because it was just so moving. And he sent me this email, and the gist of it was this, for 50 years, 5-0, he had been an atheist who'd mocked all that I'm talking about today. But he had some internal doubts, but he'd done nothing with any of those doubts. And one day someone from our church was kindly invited him to go to church. He wrote to me, he said, normally I would decline such an invitation, but for some reason that day I came. It was at the beginning of this year. He says he sat through that church service He says, it was that day that my life changed before my eyes. I walked into church and immediately felt a great sense of calm come over me, which was followed closely by very intense emotion. I literally sobbed, he said, right through the service with tears running down my face. He saw a guy at church who's part of his same biker club as him. He met with him at Wimpy that week, like trying desperately to explain what he had felt because he's an engineer. He could not explain what what he was feeling on the inside. He says the next six Sundays he came back to church, he sobbed his way through all six of those services. Been coming to church for eight months, he reached the point of putting his faith in Christ. We're standing up getting baptized about three weeks ago in one of our church services. I am so inspired by God's incredible grace and patience that for 50 years, while well, this man says, I don't believe in you, God. God never said, I don't believe in you. There was still time and patience and God's drawing and nudging and he puts his faith in Christ. By the way, one of the most outstanding parts of the story is that someone was courageous enough to put out an invite. To say, come along with me. Knowing what you and I know, surely the kindest way to live is being in like, uh, what's the right word? Reaching out to others, inviting them along, saying, they, they can say no. They all said no to Noah. Didn't stop him from being a preacher of righteousness, an inviter, a, a, a person looking for, out for others. I don't have the story in my notes, but uh, another guy had coffee with him, told me this amazing story. He had grown up in our area. Everybody that I spoke to, Told me, oh, that guy, he was an absolute hooligan. He's in his 50s, just lived a life totally devoted to himself and a lot of pain as a result. He gets COVID pneumonia during COVID. He ends up in Hillcrest Private Hospital. He told me 200 people went onto the ventilator from COVID pneumonia at that time, over, the, over that period of time. Only two survived. I don't know if that was something to do with our ventilators or just, but it was severe. He's at death's door. He's getting worse and worse. The doctor phones his wife one morning, says, Your husband's got 5% chance of making it. Some church people gather outside because we weren't allowed in hospitals. Gather outside on the street outside the hospital praying for this man. Man they'd never met before. He has this vision. While he's in a coma, he has this vision. He didn't even use Bible language to explain it to me. He just said, I, I was going up and I had no control and I was being pulled into this great big, it was like a cone, but huge with all these intense beings with lights. It felt like they were flying around and there's this dark door to the side and I knew that the destroyer was there and I had no control, but that's where I belonged. I knew, he said, I wasn't scared, I was terrified and I had no control in that state. And he said, and then I came away from that door and I went up and up and up, and I knew that the creator was there. And he said, I went right to the top, but I couldn't look in to see where all this life was from, this joy. And I just was there. And that's where I wanted to be, but that's where I belonged. And he wakes up from his coma. And the first person he sees, the next person who comes into his ward, I think was the physio. He says, I had this vision. He just, like everybody, it took him two years to finally figure out I need to submit to the creator of the universe. He did that in January this year. He also got baptized a couple of weeks ago. For 50 something years. For 50 something years, said no to everything to do with church. And God still reaches out, grabs hold of him on death's door in the ICU ward. How do we live with radical faith in a hostile culture? I said, firstly, we walk faithfully with God. Secondly, understand how powerful he is, the judge and the rescuer. And thirdly, live with radical obedience to what God says. Noah was told to build something that had never been built before to prepare for a disaster that had never happened before. There's some guys in the US who have put together a theme park and try to replicate the size of this boat that I sent through those pics. There we go. There you can see cars on the left-hand side compared to the size of that ship. I think there's another pic with some humans next to it. There we go. This is a modern-day replica of the ark. Imagine being told to build that before power tools, chainsaws, like where's the labor force for that? I don't know. Hopefully his boys helped him. Maybe he had to hire other labor. How many years would it take to build this big wooden structure? It had never been built before. There'd never been a flood before. Noah did what God told him to do, even though it didn't fully make sense. And for me, that's an essential part of living with radical faith in a hostile culture as we listen to God first. Twice, Noah, Genesis 6 and Genesis 7, we read, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Everything and all are the two big deals there. Now, again, this part of the message could be a whole six-week series because God speaks in so many different ways, but at the end, He's looking for the appropriate response for us. One of the things I feel so passionate about is God's design for marriage, the nuclear family structure, and it's become so commonplace in our culture for people who love each other romantically just to get together, live together, kind of test run their compatibility and maybe one day also get married. This is almost as prevalent within church as it is for non-believers. And it's amazing to me that God speaks so clearly in the New Testament about his design that sexual intimacy, please hear me out, sexual intimacy is designed by God as a gift and a sign of covenant. Like fire, it's powerful, but it's designed to be in the fireplace of marriage covenant, heterosexual marriage. That was the easy part to say that. The difficult part is to hear it if your actions are something different. We, I've got such a passion around this subject. So over the last, pretty much every month, I'm having a conversation with somebody saying to them, how can we as a church help you live together as God has commanded in marriage? Oh, that's have some people a bit angry with me, but on the whole, people, it, there's been amazing conversations. I meet with one couple, it actually came up in conversation with the, with the lady first, and I just asked her, is there any reason that you guys, you, you, wanted, you, you say you're part of the church, but or you want to be part of the church, is there any reason? She says, I don't think I've properly understood what God's blueprint is. I explained it to her in a few short sentences, boy, her response blew me away. She said, if that's what God says, I will act on it today. I don't know what my boyfriend's gonna say, but I'm committed to this. Would you mind if we could both come and meet with you? They come and sit down together, and the guy's a little blown away because his girlfriend's come home and, like, hey, we're not even sleeping in the same bed anymore. The pastor told me, da da da. I don't know what she exactly communicated, but we go through some of the Bible verses together. And then I invited them to do this at the end of our conversation because he was all in. He's, man, I love this woman. This is what God says we're in. How do we go forward? And I invited them at the end of our conversation to turn and face each other because, you know, having sexual intimacy outside of marriage, it's actually a very selfish thing to do. It's saying, I love myself and my own physical needs more than I love you. And not many people see it that way. And when they understood it like that, I invited him to turn to her. He turns to her, he takes his girlfriend's hands looks at the eyes, he says, I'm so sorry, he starts to cry, he says, I'm so sorry for loving myself more than I've loved you, and sorry that we haven't done things God's way, she starts bawling, she turns to me, she says, I've only ever seen him cry once before, they've been together, I think, 13 years, she then apologizes to him, and says, I'm so sorry for loving myself more than I loved you, not doing it God's way, about a month later, we had this beautiful wedding ceremony, with just about eight to 10 guests. They're gonna have a big wedding celebration in a year's time. But they wanted to get things right with God first. And the joy and peace that I could see in their lives was amazing. I'm telling that story because maybe there's some people here today that that's been your story. I met with another couple at about the same time. We have the, I had said exactly the same stuff. And they're like, oh no, you don't understand our situation. So I said, well, let's make this part A of the meeting. Let's have part B in like three weeks time so they come back part B and they say man we thank you but we're just going to keep doing what we're doing so I, I said to them I'm just struggling to understand is, and I appreciate your honesty like that's cool if that's what you've decided I can't force you but I just want to understand do you view the Bible differently to what I've just read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6 were the two chapters do you view the Bible differently to us and they say, no we view it exactly the same so I took the, I said, just, I drew a picture on a piece of paper, the different options that they've got, and this one is keep it exactly the same. I said, so on this side, you are telling me you believe that there's God's blessing for obedience, his help, his courage, etc. but you're picking that side of the line, which is disobedience to God. I, I wasn't saying it as strongly as this, because we were across the table, but I just, I was just asking, and they start to talk to each other for about 15 minutes with me observing And they said to me at the end of their conversation, maybe we need to have a part C to this meeting. (laughs) We arrived at this meeting with our decision made, but we hadn't properly understood that radical obedience to God means we're aligning with His blessing and His provision. And when we will, will fully step outside of that, then we're just all by ourselves. Part C of the meeting, a few weeks later, they said to me, we've made a decision no matter how tough it is, because there's some parts of their story they, they don't feel they can get married right now. For however long this takes, we're committed to doing things God's way. Radical obedience to what God says. And you could see just some of the joy and peace and come into, the, into their relationship. There are a number of people in our area that have immigrated for various reasons. And one of my friends who immigrated, well, it was for lifestyle reasons. He was able to afford it and went to a different country. And uh, we've kept in touch here and there. He sent me a message a couple of weeks ago, just a WhatsApp message. Just I want to let you know that if God has called us back to South Africa despite all the challenges back home. We are safe here in that country where they're at, but God has shown us that there's so much more to live for. I'm not saying which country is right for them. I'm just saying that they, I don't think they asked God in their departure, but over there, that site, God spoke to them, says, that's the country I want you to be in not about your physical safety, it's about listening in radical obedience to what God says. Noah, what an amazing man, this guy who takes a radical stand of courage in maybe the most lonely of circumstances. He's a man who walks faithfully with God over many years, hundreds of years. He's a man who understood how powerful God was, And he's a man who was radically obedient to what God said. I didn't finish off that story about the animals. My little German guys all asking how? Miraculously, God brings them all. Where there's radical obedience to what God says, God provides in amazing and astonishing ways. He gives us some of the picture, but never all of the picture. We just get the short life on earth. If If God decides, 70, 80, 90 years, who knows? Sometimes less. Just one, one little shot to follow him wholeheartedly and then an entire eternity to enjoy the consequences of our decision to either follow him or reject him. Would you stand with me to your feet, please?